Well, folks, I'm very excited about this morning. Um, Pierre has these incredible illustrations when he preaches. He comes up with, with scales, the scales at the back. He has books packed up. He has Russian dolls. I brought my lunch tin. <laughs> Uncle Pat, uh, Auntie Pat is actually your lunch tin. I'll give it to you afterwards. <laughs> but um, I'm going to leave that here for a bit later. But oh, what an incredible time. Thank you to uh, Sunmari and the team, uh, Sumri, for leading us in song. And I really believe that God wants to do something in our lives, folks. Please don't leave here without the expectation of wanting to, to meet with God. Often we can come to church out of habit and we can say, yes, I've been at church today. I've done my Christian duty for the week. But that's not what God wants. He wants to meet with you today. I believe it with all of my heart. I know that he wants to speak to you today. Just the, the word that uh, Helena shared, I'm going to touch on in my message. What Michelle has shared, just the, the worship that we had, God is going to speak to us today. When I started my preparation for this sermon, which was two weeks ago, Pierre asked me if I would preach today. Normally it takes me quite a quite a long time to hear God's voice and figure out what he wants to do. I sat down at my desk and as I just said, God, he said to me straight away, Colossians 1. It's the quickest I've ever received a message from God to preach on. So that was, I was very confident after that, knowing that, okay, God, you want to do something amazing here. And I'm not saying that today is any more special than any other day, but I do believe that God wants to speak to you. So please, won't you open your hearts this morning? It's not about me preaching. Um, I want to just set the, the stage here. The, with us singing songs and us having music, that's not worship. Our worship service started at 5.45 a.m. this morning when Alvain opened the front door and started sweeping the floor. God is our audience today. When the guys were packing out the chairs, when they were making the coffee, when they were making the foyer uh, uh, set up. That was worship to God. We are part of this orchestra that is making music to God today. The music is part of the worship that we do today. The sermon is part of the worship to an almighty God. You are not the audience. God is the audience. How do you worship God as the congregation? By the way that you receive the word today. So I encourage you, while I'm worshiping up here, you're worshiping down there, and I pray that you help me as we uh, study God's word this morning. I'm going to start by reading Psalm 19, and I'm going to pray this over us. If you have your Bibles, please, please open to Psalm 19. The heading in my Bible for Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And I'm going to read from verse 7 through to 11. If you want to, you can close your eyes also and uh, just listen carefully to what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you feel like your mind, your will, your emotions are a mess at the moment and you are struggling with anxiety or depression, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise 
the simple. When God speaks to us, he puts stuff into perspective. He speaks directly into our lives to the point where something complex can be simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The word of God brings joy to our hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Often when we read the Bible, we can read a scripture and a verse over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden one day this thing jumps out at us. And as we read it, it reads our hearts and it speaks to us. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And I pray this morning that we would receive the word of God as more valuable than gold and honey. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. So, Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we worship you in our preaching and as we receive. And we lift your name up, Heavenly Father. So, if you can turn to Colossians 1 in your Bible. And we are currently busy with a series called Fortress, and our theme scripture is from 2 Samuel 5, verse 20, where David is attacking the Philistines, and he doesn't just go and attack them, he, he goes to God and he asks God, how should I do this? How do I respond to the situation in my life? And God leads David. Two weeks ago, Pierre preached on In Christ. And I want to say, you in Christ. Last week, he preached on the mind of Christ, having the renewed mind. So today, I'm going to preach on Christ in you, which is the the reverse version of what Pierre did two weeks ago. So we've spoken about you in Christ. Today, we're going to speak about Christ in you. And we're going to be reading from Colossians 1, verse 24 to 29. And if you can read with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We're going to be focusing on one verse, verse 27. In fact, we're going to be focusing on seven words. As Pierre focused on, he said five words last week, but I actually counted it. It was seven. But I have the mind of Christ. The mind and of Christ he combined in one. So I've also got just four points, but seven words. So here we go. Just to give you a bit of background about the book of Colossians, Paul writes this book. 
He'd never been to the city of Colossae. Colossae was a small town, about 120 k's uh, east of Ephesus. And what happened was the church in Colossae was planted out of the three years of ministry that Paul had done in Ephesus. Now, when that, in the time when Paul was in Ephesus, he discipled a, a gentleman called Epaphras, okay? Oh, these guys had fantastic names in those, those days. Epaphras. Now, Epaphras started the work in Colossae. He was the founder and the leader of the church. And something started to happen in Colossae. There was a false teaching that came about which started to threaten the very major and foundational doctrines of Christianity, but more specifically the deity, the absolute lordship and the sufficiency of the person of Christ. Now it's important that you know that because this is why the book of Colossians was written. These false teachers were saying that Jesus was not fully God or fully man. He was in between. He was like a semi-divine being that bridged the chasm between God and the world. Okay, so he has Jesus between God and the world. And then these false teachers are saying, but listen, you can't put your hope in Christ. He is not God. He doesn't have the authority to help you with what you need. And so it was the, the, the false teaching was actually, it's called Gnosticism. For those of you who would like to know that big word, Gnosticism. It was a compilation of humanism and Christianity and Judaism. It, it was a bit of a mess. So they were saying you can be spiritually right by knowledge and by uh, um, spiritual disciplines. You had to do something in order to be spiritually well. Uh, spiritually well. So this is, the, this is the background. Epaphras goes to Paul when he's in prison and he tells him the situation. How does Paul respond? He writes a letter. Now, if you look at the book of Colossians and specifically in Colossians 1, it paints a portrait of the supremacy of Christ that is most probably more glamorous than any other book in the New Testament. In the first two chapters, it talks about the, 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 the superiority, the, the lordship of Christ, the role that he plays in our lives. And then the last two chapters talks about how we apply Christ in our lives and how we live it out. So the first point, the first word in, in verse, that, verse 27 is Christ. Let's focus on the word Christ. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, folks, let's, let's turn our brains on here. I want you to dig deep and get those uh, thought processes going. Listen to what it says here in Scripture. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus was God made flesh. People could actually go up to Jesus and touch him. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine touching God? Okay? This is the Christ that we're talking about. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of the deity, the fullness of God was captured up in the body of Jesus Christ. Christ wasn't Jesus' surname. His parents were not Joseph and Mary Christ. 
Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Jesus Christ was in bodily form and he was present. It was the word made flesh. Where are your minds with me? Are your brains along with me? For by him, all things, this is verse 16 and 17. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities or things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Jesus is the author of creation. In verse 15, it says, he is the firstborn. Jesus wasn't created. He was always there. Jesus is the beginning of creation. He will be the end of creation. Creation, everything that has to do with creation, Jesus is the author of that. It says here in scripture, both principalities and powers, angels and demons. Jesus created that. The seen, the unseen, heaven, earth, Jesus is the author of creation. And then it ends off by saying that all things hold together in him. In another translation, it says, Jesus sustains everything. The fact that you and I stand here and we breathe is a miracle. Jesus sustains the breath that we breathe. Isn't that incredible? He is the author of creation. He is also the head of the church, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus is not just author of creation. He is the head of the church. And I want to declare this aloud today that Jesus Christ is the head of every nation, Somerset West. No, No man leads this church. We look to Christ as he leads us, and we co-labor with him. Yes, we have leaders in place, and the Bible talks about that. But no man stands above Jesus Christ. Verse 19 and 20, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the author of creation. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of the world. Everything that Jesus created, he reconciled back to the father through the blood that he shed. Isn't that an incredible picture? So, That is a sermon in itself. I think that is a sermon series in itself. But I want to say, how would you live your life if you had Jesus Christ living with you? How would Jesus impact your life? Just with you. The beauty of Colossians 1 is that Jesus is not just with us, he is in us. This is the empowered life. As, as we unpack these seven words, I want to show you how our Christian life is unpacked by the incredible plan that God has got for our lives through Christ. The second word is in, which is the transformed Christian life. Paul speaks about this mystery in 
chapter 1, verse 26 and 7. He says, there's a mystery that has been revealed. Now, God wasn't trying to hide something from us and then saying, here we go, here's the big secret, I'm giving it to you. No, there was something that God was waiting to reveal at the right time. What was that mystery? Christ in me. That was the mystery. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, there's one truth. There's a picture that we see in God's relationship with his people. We hear often how there's reference made to God with us. I'm sure you've all read that. So just to remind you, let's take a quick journey through the Old Testament. In Genesis 12 and 15, God says to Abraham, I am with you. In Genesis 26, he says to Isaac, I'm with you. In Genesis 28, Jacob, I'm with you. Genesis 39, four times the Lord says to Joseph, I'm with you. In the book of Exodus, when Moses had to go speak to Pharaoh, God said to Moses, I am with you. He passes the mantle on to Joshua. And just, just as God was with Moses, so God was with Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Twice in Joshua 1, it says, I am with you. Don't forget, I'm with you. In Gideon, God said, you're going to go and fight the Midianites. I am with you. Don't forget that. David, I am with you. Solomon, just as I was with David, I am with you. And then the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, do not fear, do not be afraid. I am with you. This is the picture that we get from the Old Testament. This is the truth that penetrates that God is dwelling, was dwelling with his people. Then we get to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and just before that an angel appears to his earthly father, Joseph, to say that uh, Mary is going to fall pregnant and have a son. And this is in Matthew one twenty three, But it's referring back to the prophecy from Isaiah 7, which said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So Jesus was going to be Jesus with us. Then we move along to John chapter 13. And Jesus says these words. I will only be with you a little longer. Can you imagine the disciples like, what? The God who has been with us is now going to leave us? No, that's weird. No, no, that, we didn't read that anywhere in, in the scripture. This is the mystery that has been revealed. The God that has been with man throughout the history of humanity is not just going to be Jesus with us. Jesus had to go so that he could be in us. That's the mystery. Jesus is with us. Christ is in you. You have the image of the invisible God, the author of creation, the head of the church, and the savior of the world, not just with you, but in you. This is the transformed life. Jesus didn't die so that he might just save us from our sins. He died so that he could live through you. The third word is you. 
And this talks about the exchanged Christian life. We are all born with a sinful nature. You don't have a sinful nature because you sinned one day. You know, don't try and think back to, okay, when I was six years old, I I swore, I sinned, and then the sinful nature came. No, you were born with it. Thank you to Adam and Eve who did sin, brought uh, sin upon humanity. But that's where we received the sinful nature. And as a result, no matter how hard we work at trying to be a good Christian or trying to live this perfect life, at the core of our being, we still have this sinful nature. Even if we are not a Christian and we're trying to live a good life, at the core, we have a sinful nature. That's a problem. But you thank goodness or thank God that Jesus came to sort that out. Jesus has exchanged his life for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus sin for us. So what's happening here? There was an exchange. There was a bartering. Now, this is, we definitely scored out of this exchange because Christ came and he said, Would you like my righteousness? Would you like this gift of eternal life? Would you like to be restored in your relationship with God? That is the most probably the greatest present that we could ever receive. It would be, okay, God, I can't give you anything in exchange for that. And Jesus is saying, no, it's fine. I just want your sin. There's no comparison to this immeasurable, perfect gift that God has given us to our sinful nature. But that is what what has happened. God has exchanged our sinful nature, that problem that was at the core of our being. He's exchanged it for the gift of righteousness. Righteousness means that we are in right standing with God. There's nothing that you have to do. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul is saying here in Colossians 1 and Galatians 5, he's saying, guys, we no longer have the sinful nature. So stop being bound by the weight of the sin that you may be carrying. I'm not saying that Jesus has done such a great work that we can continue to sin and that his grace is sufficient and it's fine if I, if I still live a sinful life. No, it's to say that your, the very core of your nature is no longer that, that sinful nature which, was, which is pulling you down. Jesus has removed that from you. It's quite a difficult thing to get your mind around. But try to think of the time before you met Christ and how you lived your life to when you did meet Christ and the change that he made within you. It is living in the life that Christ has already paid the price for that gives us freedom. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. David prayed that in our prayer meeting this morning before the sermon. Christ lives in me. So you might ask, okay, cool. 
thank you, Lord, for this incredible gift, but why have you done that? Why have we made this exchange? He has done it to fulfill his mission through us. When Christ is in you, then it's almost like the incarnation is happening all over again. Not in the same way, not us being fully God and fully man, but the incarnation is built on the word being made flesh. Sorry, I read that because I wanted to make sure. I thought about it long and hard, and I wanted to make it certain to you. Jesus has left us, but he's come back. He's incarnating himself in us. We carry Jesus Christ, the word made flesh in our lives. This is the exchanged life. Jesus exchanged his life with us to fulfill his mission through us. The fourth word is hope, the hope. This is the secured life. I'm going to get my lunchbox out. This is my version of the Russian dolls. Would this be considered a Russian lunchbox? So, this morning we've been speaking about Christ in you, Christ in us. And I've labeled each one. Auntie Pat, I didn't write on yours because I didn't want to get permanent mark on. But this big one is God. The little one is Christ, you, and then Christ again. So we've been speaking about today that Christ is in you. You know that little Russian doll that uh, Pierre had, the tiny one that you couldn't see? I'm putting something in that doll. The illustration that Pierre had was uh, you in Christ. So this is what we've been speaking about today. Christ is in you, and he is sealed in you. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've chosen to be his disciple and to obey uh, the life that he wants you to live, he is in you. And in Ephesians 1, it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? But in Colossians 1.28, it says we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So not only is Christ in us, but we are in Christ. Okay? You are in Christ, Christ is in you. Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the, that last Russian doll that uh, Pierre used. You are in God. And folks, I pray that this illustration helps you in your soul understand where you are situated with God. So if the enemy had to come, the devil, to try and uh, cause chaos in your life, he first of all has to get through God. He doesn't have a very good track record with God. But let's say he does get through God. Okay? He then has to get through Christ. And Christ has already defeated him. Okay? But let's say... 
that he does get through Christ and he eventually gets to you, he has to contend with round two of Christ. Does this make you feel secure in your life as a Christian? How, how many of us water down this? We often, when we are faced with the challenges of life, and hence the, uh, the series name of Fortress and Breakthrough, this is how we, re- we respond. We feel like we're standing alone. Just because we do not know who we are in Christ and the work that Christ has done for us, So please see that this is the secured life of a Christian. And then, Pierre, um, not Pierre, (laughs) Pierre will be preaching on suffering in a couple of weeks' time, but the Apostle Paul, when he speaks about suffering, in the Bible, he calls it joy. Now, what, what did Paul go through? He took a beating. He was whipped a couple of times, not just one time, 39 lashes, three times. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was, went hungry. He was in prison. He counted that suffering as joy. Why? Because he had this picture. This is the picture that he had, that he knew that Christ was in him and he was in Christ. And then the last word is of glory. So we have the hope of glory. This is the completed life. We have the empowered life in Christ. We have the transformed life that Christ is within us. We have the exchanged life that Christ exchanged for us at the the cross where he took our sin and gave us the righteousness of God. We are secure in Christ and in God, but we also complete Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, complete. In Colossians 3 verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is going to be one day when Jesus comes back that we will appear with him in glory. And the suffering that we have been exposed to here on earth through sin and hardship, it will be gone. We will have a complete life in Christ. We shall be like him. We shall have a body like his glorious body. And I'm going to ask uh, Elmer if she can join me up on stage. And... I'm going to just take a moment as I conclude to look at one aspect of the word that I've shared this morning. I'm convinced that in the scripture of Colossians 1 verse 27, that authentic spiritual transformation happens from inside out. And what do I mean by this is at the core of who we are and what we believe, it affects our mind, our feelings, our emotions, our will, our relationships, our people that we live with, and ultimately the purpose for our life. In this series, we talk about um, trusting God for breakthrough in our lives. Every area that I've mentioned, there may be you are 
trusting God for a breakthrough, is whether it's within yourself or your relationships or whatever. Now, what we tend to do is we try to respond to the situation. We, let's say, we have a problem at home and we're not a good parent. We read a book on parenting. And I'm not saying that books on parenting are not good. I'm just saying that often we try and respond to those elements in our life. We get hurt by things, so we try and respond to it. We try and make it right in our own strength. Even for us as a Christian, we, there's, there's such a list of things to do that we consider. I have to have a quiet time. I have to read my Bible. I have to spend time praying. You know, what can I do? What behaviors, what habits can I include in my life? And then we, we, we set in place certain habits. Yes, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock. I'm going to pray every morning. And we set these habits in place. What happens if we don't get to doing all those habits or practical things that we put in place? We feel frustrated. We feel like we are a failure. And we feel like we've let God down. We spend all of our energies trying to get these things right. Trying to get these things lined up with the truth that the Bible speaks about. Trying to live out the Christian life. And I believe that there is a reason for this. There's a reason why we get frustrated. Here it is. The Christian life is impossible without Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ and that he is in you and you in him and he is in God, you're not gonna be able to live the Christian life. Our response to all of the situations in our life should be to turn within and to look up and to say, God, please help me. When I have my quiet times, one of the prayers I pray almost always is, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me understand your word. God, help me with the situation. I messed up again. I shouldn't have spoken to my kids that way. God, help me. And that spirit that is within me comes and changes who I am. It molds me. And it's no pressure on myself because there, has, there is that exchange that has happened. It is designed so that the only way that these things can be a reflection of Christ is if he is living his life in you. I want you to close your eyes and and I'm going to read a quote from Ian Thomas. Beware unless even as a Christian you fall into Satan's trap. You may have found and come to know God as the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving him sincerely as your Redeemer. Yet, if you do not enter into the mystery of godliness and allow God to be in you the origin of his own image, you will seek to be godly by submitting yourself to external rules and regulations and by conforming to behavior patterns imposed upon you by the particular Christian society. You will, in this way, perpetuate the pagan habit of practicing religion in the energy of the flesh and in the very pursuit of righteousness commit idolatry in honoring Christianity more than Christ. You can keep your eyes closed because I'm going to give you a moment to respond. Those are quite powerful words that Ian Thomas refers to Christianity if approached in the wrong word as idolatry. And folks, 
we all included here today, we want to give you the opportunity, give us the opportunity to bring before God that which is in your life, which you feel you are battling with, that you feel like you've been struggling with. It may be a sin that you feel like you you cannot break in your life. And in fact, maybe you've said to God, God, you can't forgive me of the sin. This is just too much. There's no ways you can forgive me of this. He can, and he wants to, and his Holy Spirit is here today. And I want to, I want to give you a moment just to gather your thoughts and to gather your hearts and whatever it is in your life. Maybe it is that you've had a misunderstanding of who Christ is in you. Here's a moment for you to just say, God, please help me understand this more. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us in our thoughts, that you touch our hearts. God, I pray that as everyone comes before you with open hearts, Lord, that you would meet us at the place where we are at if we have sinned and if it has been repetitive sin and it feels like it has just consumed our lives. God, I pray that you pour out your grace today. All it, all it takes is for us to acknowledge that we are wrong and that we believe that you can make a difference in our lives. Father, as Philippa prayed this morning for the marriages, God, we bring our marriages before you. And God, Christ is in our marriages. We are in Christ as a couple, as couples. We bring that before you, God. Father, I pray that the work that you do in us, God, would be complete. Father, Jesus did not come and die for us so that we could go to heaven and have church. Jesus died for us so that heaven could come into us so that we could be the church. And I pray that as we leave here today, hopefully having a greater understanding of this picture that Colossians gives to us, that we can be the church to other people. Jesus, you died for us so that you could live through us and that you could live in us. We surrender our lives to you, God. We count it such a great privilege to be able to to be in this place. We are humbled and we just worship you with the greatest gift that we can give you and that is our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.